Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. Psalm 31.5 Welcome to the Into Your Hand podcast with Brendan and Wesley. Today we are discussing the Sabbath School Bible Study for November 21st, 2020. This quarter is entitled Education. This week's lesson is Education and Redemption. The memory verse this week is 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuking, for correction, for training in righteousness. A special thank you to Fountain View Academy for giving us permission to share their music ministry with you. Links to Fountain View Academy are in the description. God bless you all.
Father, may we be your children, may we listen to scripture and be guided by your Holy Spirit. Teach us your ways, we will walk in your truth, into your hand we commit our spirit. Lord, may this lesson be a blessing, may our names be written in the book of the living and with the righteous. Save us for your mercy's sake, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it's great to gather again today and to study the lesson. Today is education and redemption. And just to repeat the Bible verse, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Scripture is holistic in its nature. It touches on all of these things. And when we really care for those around us, we are eager to both learn the scripture for ourselves and apply it to our lives personally, and also to share it with others so that they may do the same. Because through the scripture, we learn of Christ. We learn of the walk in the way. And when the Holy Spirit is within our souls, he convicts us of sin, and he leads us on this path of righteousness. But we always have the Holy Word, the scriptures with us as a guide, because sometimes we might feel a stirring in our soul and think it's the Holy Spirit, but we're actually being deceived. So it's always good to refer to the scriptures whenever it comes to something of life's lessons or choices that we make. It is the guide in which will lead us on the way of life. You have something to add for that? Bible verse, Wesley? I, I like how you brought that up about the Holy Spirit speaking to us. Um, I definitely agree um, with when the Spirit is speaking to us, it has to coincide with the Bible. And um, that, that's a very important point. I, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, also, 
since our lesson is about education, I wanted to look at the rest of the verse, the rest of the context. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So it is a teaching tool. It is for guiding us in every facet of our lives. And I, like, I think you also touched on how it needs to be practical. And sometimes we don't understand the, the rhyme and reason always behind what the Bible is trying to tell us. Um, there's a lot of controversy about this or that verse. And, but when we read it as a whole and we allow the Bible to explain itself, and we do the word studies, and we do it with an open mind, um, we can get a picture of God's love and how he's, he's trying to teach us something that on the surface maybe we don't, we don't see just by quickly glancing through it. I like how Ellen White says, you know, we need to search the scriptures as we search for gold in a mine, you know, to dig for truth, to continue to open its pages and study it. Uh, just quickly reading through it doesn't provide us with all the depths of knowledge that it really offers. Right. And tying that in, I was thinking about a friend of mine and the struggles that he's dealing with and how he was referring to a method of avoidance of sin by avoiding situations which encourage it. So if you're in a certain circumstance, you might be more prone or it might be more easy to slip back into sin. There is a point to that. We should not expose ourselves unnecessarily to situations which encourage us to sin. But at the same time, we shouldn't be like monks that are reclusive that go and hide in the mountains away from all of society and just devote ourselves solely to prayer and scripture reading. Because like later in the lesson, we learn that the Great Commission was given to us so that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. When we look at the life of Christ and the ministry that he did, he was in direct contact with people of the most lowly nature, tax collectors, awful sinners, prostitutes, and so on. People who wanted to overthrow the Romans by violence and kill them all. He was around these types of people. And these are the people that he taught the way. He taught them a different way from what the way they were living. And he did not get himself dirty with the sins that they had committed. It was the opposite. They came to him with hearts that were longing to be cleansed. So we need to have not only a personal relationship with Christ, walking with him each day, but those people around us, they need to enjoy the fullness of the scripture. They need to come and eat at the master's table. So our teacher, Jesus Christ, gave us a good example of being in the world, but not of the world. And he taught his disciples. He was patient to explain the lessons again and again and again to them. And they took a long time to learn it. Even after he had died and he was resurrected, they were still learning. But soon after that, 
they were walking and they walked in powerful ways by the Holy Spirit and gave their lives in martyrdom. So it's our responsibility and it's our privilege to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and to base our faith on the Holy Scriptures. Yes. Um, when we look at Christ and what he was doing, my question then is like, how did he do it? And how did the apostles do what they were doing? And in relation also to avoidance of sin, how do we do that? And what comes to my mind is a deep relationship with God and that surrender and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, when we are very close to God in communion with him, communication with him, um, we are going to, you know, the old adage, so heavenly minded, no earthly good. Um, we are going to be able to withstand temptation because the Holy Spirit is, is living through us. And that's, I think, what Jesus did by his surrender uh, to the power of God rather than his own personal div divine power. Um, and I think that's our example, uh, true surrender and that communication with God so that when we are in those situations that, of course, we're trying to avoid, but when we're in, we are in those situations, our minds and our hearts have been transformed and are being renewed moment by moment uh, to overcome sin, not because of my goodness or my greatness or anything like that, but because of the Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts. It definitely does take that daily surrender, that sacrifice of the desires of the flesh for the openness to accept heavenly desires. Jesus extends a hand of grace, and it's up to us to take that hand and to walk with him each day, first in forgiveness and then in the process of sanctification, and to draw others into that same walk on the straight and narrow path. Do you have a Bible verse for Sunday? Ah, uh, Yes, let's start uh, Sunday's portion. Uh, Sunday is in the image of God. Uh, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creepy thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image in the image of God. He created that him male and female. He created them. And also Genesis 5, 1 and 3. This is the book of the generations of Adam in the day when God created him. He made him in the likeness of God. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. The question I, that I got from this day is, what is the goal of Christian education? It's a goal of our lifetime, and it's spoken of in the Sabbath school lesson to restore in man the image of his maker. That is the ultimate goal, to have God's image restored in our hearts, in our minds. And it starts with the distrust of self, distrust of our own passions and desires, lust of the flesh, 
it starts with that distrust. And when we get that distrust as a, likely a gift from God, because all good and all good things come from the Lord. Um, as we get that distrust, as we learn that distrust, we seek and find the Lord ready to train us and to use us for his services. Amen. So when, yeah, when God said, let us make man in our image, it was the embodiment of the spiritual and intellectual similarity in humanity of the creator. That word in Hebrew, one of the meanings of image, make man in our image, is shadow. So as God moves, as he does, so does his shadow, so do we. So just like you said, that our characters are to be stamped, are to have the imprint of God's character on them. We are to live spiritually and intellectually uh, like God does, like Jesus did in that holiness that he calls us to. But it's never alone. It's always together. We were always supposed to be together. It was sin that caused the separation of Adam and Eve from God in the Garden of Eden, where the angels were set up at the, at the gate with flaming swords, keeping them from the tree of life. It wasn't what was intended to be, but it became that way because of the choices that they made. And now, because of Jesus Christ, that restoration is available to us again. We can have that forgiveness and we can have that relationship. It starts today. And we long for that second coming, that resurrection, and that point of glorification where all things are restored and sin is gone from this world. So in what ways that we can, through the reading of the word, through praise and adoration, by sincere and humble prayer and repentance, let us be like the image of God. Let us be as his shadow and move as he moves. Uh, yes, and I would like to add to that. Um that it's a change of our character and our motivations. Um, we can do a lot of good things with the wrong motivations. So when the image of God is in us, our characters change and our motivations change. Um, That's true. But I, but I would say that our personalities are probably going to remain distinct. God is not trying to change our personalities. He's trying to change the other aspects of our lives, which will have an impact on our personalities. Sure. Um, and growing up as children, you don't see it as much. But as parents, you look down at your children. And, and sometimes in great joy, you see that your children are taking on your personality and your characteristics, your faith. Sometimes you look at your children and you see them lacking. And right. that's a painful prick to your soul. But children learn from us and they reflect who we are. Because we, at least in the early years, we're their only role model. Later in life, they have other people in their lives, their teachers, their friends, people in their community. And they start to adapt and change to become like them. So not only do we need to be good role models for our children, but we also need to put them into circles that are holistic, that are Christ-centered, 
so that those other people who are influencing their lives also bring out the best in them so that that when they grow to become adults they are strong followers of Jesus Christ and they carry on that great commission just as we are monday's lesson tells us to read isaiah 11:1 to 9 then a shoot will spring from the stem of jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit the spirit of the lord will rest on him the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and strength the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the lord and he will delight in the fear of the lord and he will not judge by what his eyes see nor make decisions by what his ears hear but with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the humble of the earth and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked also righteousness will be the belt about around his hips and faithfulness the belt around his waist and the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the young goat and the calf and the young lion and the fatted steer will be together and a little boy will lead them also the cow and the bear will graze their young will be lie down together and the lion will eat straw like an ox the nursing child will play with the whole of the cobra and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den they will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the lord as the water cover the sea then on that day the nations will restore to the root of jesse who will stand as a signal flag for the peoples and his resting place will be glorious what an amazing prophecy uh, about uh, wisdom and understanding and tells us about heaven here and it points to the educational facet of Jesus's ministry and how he was the greatest teacher and I'm still amazed at how after three and a half years there were some disciples that still were like okay you've been raised from the dead uh, are we going to overthrow the Romans now so they still didn't fully grasp the mission of Christ and how the war is not of this world but it is in our hearts and in our minds right they didn't see the new Jerusalem as we are given revelation in the book of revelation they didn't understand that because the nation of Israel had rejected him that the plan was to call all to Christ and all that come have the same promises given them the same promises that were given to Israel throughout the years were open to all people to come to him and that in the end the new Jerusalem would come from heaven and that all things would be made new they couldn't see that plan ahead of them they were still thinking of an earthly kingdom of a political power and they needed teaching so part of jesus's ministry was to make this 
understanding of the full ramifications of redemption known in his teaching. He lived perfectly. He loved immensely. He led them. He healed the sick. And he taught. So after the resurrection, they came to an enlightenment. And really, the fullness of that enlightenment were the flames upon their heads in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came upon them. After that point, you can see that they understood and that they preached in power where thousands were converted. And so, in these last days, are we looking for that same? outpouring of the Holy Spirit that will change us and will change the lives of those around us. Uh, definitely. Um, the latter rain is very important and I'm concerned because a lot of people are waiting to get their lives sorted out when the Sunday laws come or something. But I would get, venture a guess that the, from what I understand and from some sermons I've heard, that the latter rain comes first and also ellen white talks about how when the latter rain comes some people will not realize that it has come some people are going to miss out on the holy spirit uh, coming in power because they're waiting for the wrong thing so i feel it's important to get our lives ready now as the, the latter rain will be coming and we want to be ready for that that type of thinking is really telling of the persistent procrastinator. Right. When it comes to anything good in our life, there's rarely a time when the best advice you could give yourself is to sit down and do nothing. Mm -hmm. It's when we move our hands and our feet, when we take what we know and apply it, when we do all that we can, then we start to see a fruit of the harvest. And faith does take action. We are called to take up our cross daily and follow him. There is a cross to bear. It's not a cross as heavy as the Lord took upon his shoulders and took to Calvary, but there is a cross to bear. There is a sacrifice to be made of our sinful flesh, of our sinful desire, and there is a cross to bear. The fullness of knowledge, of wisdom, of counsel, of understanding that is set forth within the scriptures is ours to take into our souls and to live each day. As it says in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 9, the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And may that cover our soul and overflow from our souls into the lives of those around us. So the teachings of God are truly a gift that lead us upon the way. The bottom of Monday's lesson asks, what role do we have in fulfillment of the Great Commission, basically, in the prophecies? And I think the changing of our hearts and minds and distrust of self and the baptism of the water and the Holy Spirit um, is an example a living example of the truth of the scriptures and being able to be blessed to share that message with others is naturally results from that. How can we hide something that is so wonderful? We share 
videos on YouTube, we share music, we share all sorts of things, articles, news. What could be more important to share than the good news of what God has done in our lives and, and how he can impact the lives of our friends and family? Amen. So for Tuesday's lesson, do you have a Bible verse to share with us? Oh, yes. Second Timothy three fourteen to 17. And it says, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and be- become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And far from childhood, you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that lead to salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. All scriptures inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. And it talks about, in reference to this text, is talking about the role of scripture. And the role of scripture is to educate, is to open our minds to a broader understanding of the world, show us how practical God actually is in our daily lives. But it talks about also that not every portion of the scriptures necessarily applicable to this day and age. Uh, Deuteronomy 17, 14 to 20 is about kings, and we don't have kings. Uh, We don't elect kings. We don't uh, choose our next king or anything like that. Um, But maybe there is some truth to how we select rulers uh, or select uh, leaders uh, through that passage, uh, even though we don't select kings anymore. Um, I like the first paragraph here on Tuesday's lesson. It says, the word for the first part of the Bible, the Torah, is something sometimes translated as the law, partly because there are so many laws in these books. But Torah really means teaching or instruction. This understanding is very different from what many think the law in the Bible is about, namely rules and regulations that we have to follow to remain in God's good graces. Not so. The law is intended as teaching material dealing with how to live successfully and safely in the covenant relationship God intended when he created us in the first place. I like that take that many do have this, you know, do's and don'ts. Um, But that's not what it's about. And, you know, when we are teaching children also, uh, our own children or professionally, as we do, we have do's and don'ts. And it's for their own protection, Uh, even if they don't fully agree with it or like it. uh, We would prefer them not to run in the classroom because they might get hurt or to stand on tables. And they don't fully understand the ramifications that they could fall off and really get hurt and, and go to the hospital. So the same with the scriptures. We have a lot of do's and don'ts that we need to fully understand how God is leading us in his love and teaching us. Right. The laws of God are not arbitrary, but are intrinsic to how we are to live with him and with others. So rather than just do's and don'ts that were just made up because he he thought that that's what he should do, these are how we should do it, how we should move. I like to think of the life of a Christian as a well-oiled gear within an intricate machine. If you've ever seen the inside of a manual transmission, 
maybe you haven't, but you could look them up on Google Images or something. There are a lot of gears, a lot of very sophisticated and finely cut gears that are intermeshed. And when one moves, it moves the other. These fit together perfectly and are lubricated. And they're intended to move billions and billions of times over hundreds of thousands of miles to transfer power from the engine through the transmission to the wheels, to the road, for the vehicle to move forward. And those laws in our lives are just like that. They are how we are to live with God and with others. And when we do move in this synchronous and well-lubricated way, the vehicle of our lives can move forward in that straight and narrow path. We can keep going. And that's what God intends for us. He doesn't want there to be sand or to be rocks or to be all sorts of other types of impediments thrown into the transmission of our lives, because that will end up destroying us. He wants what is best for us. He seeks restoration with our relationship with him, and he wants us to restore the relationships with others and to not only restore these two relationships, but to maintain them. And the Holy Scriptures are our instruction. The Torah, the five books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, are our teaching, are our instruction. So when we think of law, don't think of a heavy burden on our shoulders, but think of a transmission perfectly in sync and taking us down the path of righteousness. I like your analogy of the transmission. It's very good. Wednesday's lesson talks about wise men and women. And it tells us to read 1 Kings 4, 29 to 34. Now God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind like the sand that is on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other people, more than Ethan, the Ezrodhite, Heman, Kalkol, and Darda the sons of Mahol, and his fame was known in all the surrounding nations. He also told 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. He told the trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that grows on the wall. He told also of animals, birds, crawling things, and fish. People came from all the nations to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Um, what part does wisdom play? Clearly, in Solomon's case, it, it was a great opportunity to share the temple services and to share God with the kings and with the nations as they came and marveled at his knowledge. It was a witnessing opportunity, uh, for sure, that he should have uh, used to the fullest extent. It reminds me of the story in the that we're going to study on Thursday's lesson when we talk about teaching sharing the gospel and knowing the the cross and Jesus how does it fit in with the wisdom of the world i think it needs wisdom needs to be used as a a tool to continue to educate the world about Jesus Christ right the world has a lot of knowledge most of it true, some of it in error, especially when it comes to origins 
and the concepts of evolution. That's where they go way off. Right. Or there are other areas in which it's, it's strictly theoretical, um, mm -hmm. and that even deviates far from philosophy. It's not all that is true, but a lot of, of the sciences are true, and uh, mathematics, and so on. So the, the world does have a lot of knowledge, and it's grown exponentially in the last 100 years, especially in the areas of technology. But we haven't seen that reflected in areas of morality or of ethics. On the contrary, it seems the more knowledge the world gains, the further it goes away from God. Because often when people feel that their knowledge is sufficient, then their fullness is complete, when in fact that's not the case. Right. We cannot equate knowledge, simply having knowledge, or even applying knowledge to morality and to spirituality. So the wisdom of Solomon that he was given from on high was tremendous, and it was multifaceted. He had knowledge of the sciences. He had knowledge of society. He had knowledge of how to apply laws in ways that others had not before. He was the child of David who wrote the Psalms. And even in the Psalms, there were three chapters, um, Psalms chapter 1, 37, and 73. They also had portions in which dealt with education. So we've seen revelation throughout the Psalms, education in the Psalms, adoration in the Psalms, and all of that really is spiritual education too. So where does wisdom come from and what does it fully entail? Again, we come back to the Holy Spirit because when we read the Holy Scriptures, our situations today are different from those Israelites who were in the wilderness. They were raising animals, crops, and their situation of living, their way of living was unlike what we live in the 21st century. But they dealt with the same type of temptation that we deal with now. But we still need wisdom to apply the scriptures in our lives and to follow the scriptures each day in a proper way. And the Holy Spirit is our guide in that regard. So we refer to the scriptures and we understand the truth set therein, but the Holy Spirit can translate that into the special situations that we find ourselves in. But I think coming back to that idea of desire and sacrifice, it always has to begin there. Because if we ever take an air of pride, as Satan has, and say that I have attained, or that I am what I need to be. That's a place that you can't come back from. We, also, we always have to have a hunger and thirst for righteousness. We always have to come before the cross of Christ each day to lay our burdens down, to repent of our, our sins, and to say, here I am, Lord, use me. Because he is eager to walk with us. He's eager to forgive us. He loves us so dearly that he gave his life for us. And he wants us to be a success in this life in ways of faith. He has plans for our lives that we don't know about. And if we come to him and say, here I am, use me, 
then he will lead us and we will fulfill what he has intended for us. And that will be for our greatest good and for the good of those around us as well. Yes. Thursday's lesson tells us to read 1 Corinthians 2. And when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come as someone superior in speaking ability or wisdom. As I proclaim to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I also was with you in weakness and fear and in great trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in perverse words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of mankind, but on the power of God. Yet we do not speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, hidden wisdom, which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, Things which, I, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the human heart, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the spirit, for the spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among people knows the thoughts of a person except the spirit of the person that is in him? So also the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. We also speak these things, not in words taught of human wisdom, but in those taught of the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But the one who is spiritual discerns all things, yet he himself is discerned by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. This is showing that we are to have the mind of God and to be one with him, as John 17 tells us, and that the wisdom that God provides to us and shares with us is a wisdom the world doesn't understand. And in verse two, it says, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Um, if we take this out of context, we might um, share Christ in such a way that is not clearly understood by people. If we only quoting scripture and saying, Jesus, 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 and Jesus' resurrection. You know, so many skeptics look at, you know, some philosophy or some scientific knowledge that they think they have, and they don't understand and don't accept the Bible as truth. And the only way to reach those kinds of people is to have a, a wisdom, a knowledge that, to have that knowledge to refute the bad wisdom that people have. This is what the teacher's guide was talking about today, that we must learn something of the wisdom of the world just so that we can 
explain how it's wrong and how the Bible is still correct. And we can see also in this verse is also out of context in the sense that you read the rest of Romans, you read much of Paul's writings, you look at the sermons and acts, and you see how Paul mixed logic and reason and practical and philosophical together in, in amazing ways to spread the gospel. And we are to do likewise. And so the question comes out it, from this is like, what is, the, how, what is the role of education in the church? Someone could argue like, well, why don't we have a, maybe a revelation seminar or some outreach program instead of building a university? And the answer to that, education is very important in the church. We have to be schooled not only of the Bible, but also in the philosophies of the world so that we can refute them. Do you have any comment? Well, I would agree that education, Christian education, is incredibly important. But these days we need to be ever so vigilant um, as an organization to ensure that those professors and educators within our school system from elementary school all the way up to university level are teaching in a way that is very much monitored and is in accordance to the scriptures. Now, if you have a, a professor who's teaching mathematics, that doesn't really delve much into spirituality. But if you have the school of theology that is deviating from strictly scriptural teachings, but incorporating uh, things of a liberal nature, which twists the scriptures to mean the inverse of what they're actually saying, then you're raising up future leaders in a way that will then lead a massive amount of congregations away from the Lord. So it's highly important that church leadership is spirit-led, that university professors are spirit-led. And by spirit-led, I mean a spirit, the Holy Spirit is in their life, is working in their life, and it's all in accordance to what the scriptures say. So those things are so important because the Holy Spirit, as Thursday's lesson says, is identified as the spirit of truth. There are other spirits that speak. There are spirits of unholy angels who are constantly trying to deceive and to torment and to take over because we are in this world of a great controversy between Christ and his followers and Satan and his followers. So there's always this push and this pull. So we need to have the Holy Spirit within us. And as church members and as church leaders, we need to ensure that those people placed in those positions of church decision-making or education are also in tune with the Holy Spirit. And that is verified by how they live according to the scriptures. I like that verse. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13, who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has taught him? We are not to teach the Holy Spirit what is right and wrong. The Holy Spirit is to convict us of what is right and wrong. 
and we are to live and to teach according to that, not the other way around. We are not God, we are man, and it is his place to teach us, and it is our place to follow him. So on to Friday's lesson. Wes, do you have a Bible passage to share with us? Yeah, I've got Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the Great Commission, and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. A very nice text, which is the ultimate goal of being a Christian, that we have distrust of self, we have trust in God, we have our daily prayers and devotionals. We've been baptized by the water and by the Holy Spirit. And as a result of our lives being changed, we share the gospel, the truth of God with our coworkers and our family and our friends. Uh, sometimes uh, just by the way we live, sometimes by just being different, sometimes by maybe a devotion or some verse of the Bible or by some discussion and conversations, we share with others. And because our lives are changed, we influence those nearest us. We don't become changed and then fly away from those nearest us to some far off land, right? Um, if we have trouble witnessing to our coworkers and our friends and our families, about how our lives have changed and how we have peace and hope and love and joy. And people can't see that in our homes and in our workplaces. Uh, they're probably not going to see it if we go traveling abroad either. So we need to start at home. And even in our own families with our children, we need to make a difference. Uh, the world is changeable. People make a difference. We see that all the time. You know, like in America, the inter some people on YouTube are now more popular than the evening news. We can make a difference in this world, and it's our duty to do so. And it's it seems like it's so obvious, right? Because when we hear a new song that we like, we want to share it. When we see a, some new science video or some new history video or some new thing or some article or news, whatever, whatever we do, you know, we're eager to share it. And we should have that same spirit with Christ and sharing it. If we're not sharing it, are we really living it? Have we really been changed as much as we should have? Maybe we're missing something. All right. We need to know it. We need to love it. We need to live it. And we need to share it. Right. And you're right that we need to start with our homes. But we also need to understand that sometimes the People closest to us are the ones that are more, most difficult to reach. But just as a prophet is not often accepted in his home village, right. sometimes going to another village where you are not known can be an advantage. It can be an advantage in that you feel more free to share and people are more apt to listen because you were not one that grew up with them. But you come to them with a message that's pure from the scriptures and you're sharing it from the heart. So no matter where we are or what opportunities we have, we need to use each to glorify God and to share the word of God with them, whether it be in our own culture, in a third culture, 
in our own language, in another language, um, different situations, different opportunities. We need to go where the spirit leads and to be used by that spirit. So what is it that Christians have to learn? What do people need to know? Work, rest, social issues, community relations, church and worship, economics, philanthropy, relations with the authorities, counseling, family systems, marriage relations, child rearing, food and its preparation, clothing, and even getting old and preparing for the end of life, both one's personal life and life in this world. To be a Christian means to learn something about all these things mm -hmm. and more. Right. So really, the nature of Christianity is multifaceted. When someone says to you, how's your life at work? Or how's your life at church? How's your love life? How's this portion of your life, that portion of your life? The Greek idea of life and of living is everything segmented into little boxes in which they can be understood and controlled. But really the holistic idea of life and the way that God looks at life is that everything is spiritual. Is your work a spiritual place? Are you living it in a spiritual way? What about your relationship with your husband, your wife, your kids, your community, how you help your community or deny your community? Are those issues that have a mainstay within spirituality? Everything is spiritual. How we deal with each other and how we deal with God is living faith. And we need to understand that the Great Commission is not only just saying that Jesus Christ came, led a perfect life, and died for our sins, but that the word, that the scriptures were laid forth for our well-being. They were intended for our good, not for our harm. And Jesus Christ came to reconcile us with him. Not to put away the law of God, but to help us to fully understand the law of God, to accept his sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins from our past, and to lead us into a glorious walk with him, to lead us to live these laws in our lives, to apply these principles, and to become holy as he is holy. So he wants what is good for us, and the Great Commission is really us wanting what is good for others. That's why we're reaching out to them, because we love them as he loved us. Right. Really beautiful love. I, I agree. Um, sometimes it's important to go to another village, but we should start with our current situation and uh, go from there. Sometimes, you know, our coworkers and our friends and our family, they know us too well. And they don't see the power of God in our lives quite as they should. And uh, so it is better to travel to a new place to witness for Christ. Uh, Abraham went all the way to Canaan and Paul traveled all over because God knew that the Israelites in Jerusalem had had enough, had so much light and uh, had rejected it. Right. And this is a little bit of a speculation, but I don't believe it's off the mark. We know that Pharisees, to be a Pharisee, you had to be married. 
And when we read of Paul, we know that he is alone. So some theologians believe that he lost his family because of the cause of Christ. It's not explicitly stated in the scriptures, but we do know that historically Pharisees had to be married. And we know that Saul had a dramatic conversion mm-hmm. in which he saw Christ, that he was blinded, and that then his eyes were opened to the marvelous truth that Christ had risen again and that he was the Messiah. And from that time on, he was a changed man. He became a dynamic and powerful friend and ally of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he took the gospel far and wide. And it is possible that he lost the very thing that he treasured the most, his family, for the cause of Christ. So where the Spirit leads, according to the scripture, have ears that hear and a heart in tune with his Spirit. And those feet at the bottom of your legs make them move. And those hands that you have, commit them to Christ's work. Share with every voice the word of truth. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we know that this life is very difficult. We've had many sorrows. We've been through so much. And there is far more to come. But what sufferings we have for your sake, we call a gain. We value those things that refine our souls. Just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fiery furnace, we know that we will have times, we have had times, and we will have more times that are difficult. But as long as you are with us in the flames, we know that all things will work together for good for those that love you and who are called according to your purpose. May we fulfill your great commission. May we not only walk with you and live according to your law with your spirit within, but may we call and draw all men unto you so that they may know you as their God, that they may know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and that they too may partake of the kingdom to come. May your holy kingdom come soon. May your new Jerusalem be established. May your kingdom start today in our hearts, but be established in this world very soon. May sin come to an end, and you reign victorious over all. We thank you for the love that you have given us, the love that we share. And I ask that you're with each one of the listeners of this podcast. May they have a hunger and thirst for righteousness and dive deeply into the scriptures each day. May their prayers be sincere. May their praise be lifted on high. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
on and go to heaven where all is light and glory how i long to be with jesus how i long to be with god sometimes i think i can stay here no longer very lonely here for I have seen a better land Oh that I had wings like a dove then would I fly away and be at
Thank you for listening. Please click the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. Bible readings taken from the NASB are copyrighted by the Lockman Foundation.